HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Linda Palaccio, and this is A Taste of the Past, where we will introduce you to some interesting people and curious facts about cooking in history, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Today, our sponsor is Dixon's Farm Stand Meats in Chelsea Market in New York City. Yes, we're all saying yay! (laughs) Dixon's is uh, just great meat from small, sustainable farms, from... um, Butchers who know what they're doing, and I encourage people who live in New York City to go visit because now they're serving lunch as well. Gabe Ross is making wonderful sandwiches and and great sausages and yummy foods. And the meat, any cut you want, just go in and ask. Adam Tiberio is their butcher. He will fix up anything you want. And they, but they also have just regular great cuts and uh, just an all around good butcher shop. Today we have two really terrific guests on our show, Peter Kaminsky and Donna Gelb. Um, Peter Kaminsky has written several books uh, with famous chefs, and Peter in his own right is famous, and he's been been published in New York Magazine, uh, Food and Wine Magazine, Condé Nast Traveler, the New York Times. He was New York Magazine's underground gourmet for many years, too. Peter's book, Pig Perfect, is a wonderful book. It sort of traces the history of pigs and hams and and has wonderful recipes. And his most recent book is what we're really going to focus on today. Well, not the book, but, but actually the cooking. And it's called Seven Fires. Grilling the Argentine Way, which he wrote with chef and restaurateur Francis Melman. And Donna Gelb is here, too. Donna is a food writer and a recipe tester, and she adapted the recipes from the Argentine grilling methods for American kitchens. And she also worked on Pig Perfect recipes as well. So welcome to both of you on this snowy day. Great to be here. (laughs) As we say, snowy day, a big chunk of snow just fell from the roof. You could be listening to this in June, you know, whenever you happen to log on to heritageradionetwork.com. But today we are live, and it is snowy, snowy February day. Um, 
cooking seven fires, cooking and, and grilling, basically fire. I mean, that's fire. Cooking with fire is what separates us from the beast. All right. And I mean, cooking with fire and barbecue grilling, people usually just think of, you know, the quick charring of the hot dogs, hamburgers and steaks. But um, in this book, it's just amazing because you describe so many different ways of cooking, so many different fires. And I want you to take us there with you. What really are the seven fires? Well, let's, let's, let's backtrack. You went to Argentina. How did, what made you go to Argentina? How did this book come about? Well, uh, my other life, not totally separate from food writing, is I've written about fishing and hunting forever. Sorry, I forgot those. A great well, fisherman. No, that's a, <laughs> but it relates to this. I mean, I wrote the uh, outdoors column in the time for 20 years. Uh, and it still occasionally appears, although the sports section has got a little slimmer. But I, uh, Argentina has wonderful, wonderful trout fishing, and I used to go down there trout fishing a lot. Um, and about 15 years ago, <clears throat> uh, Dana Cowan, who's the editor of Food and Wine, they had this wonderful shoot they'd done with Francis Malman, a very stylish guy who's got this great retreat up on an island in the very wilds of Patagonia, and they wanted me to write the story. Um, uh, because I speak Spanish. Oh, well, that's so convenient. I called Francis up, and uh, he speaks better English than most of us. Uh, so that went out the window. But we became great friends um, <clears throat> over the years. We've had cookouts you know, in the mountains in Patagonia, and his family's come to my house for Christmas, and we've gone to his island for, uh, for Easter. So I think he's a wonderful chef, uh, and beyond quite that, a reputation. I yes, mean, as, I mean as a traditional French cooking as well. I mean, well, that that's the thing about Francis. He uh, he's a a guy with tremendous talent and insane amount of taste, both visually and gastronomically. And uh, as a young man, he uh, he worked for Bocuse, he worked for Trocellier, he worked. Uh, um, he worked for Marchese. He, he worked at Pinchiori outside Florence mm. or in Florence. So he worked at some of the great Michelin-starred restaurants. And he's this uh, dashing fellow. And uh, he came back and had a TV career in Argentina. And as he said, I was, uh, I being Francis, making a lot of money cooking French food for rich Argentines. And I got bored. Mm. So uh, in 1995, the International Academy of Gastronomy invited him to cook a meal uh, some in some schloss in Germany. And uh, they wanted it South American. And he said, I'm going to do a meal. Uh, 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 every course is centered on the potato. And uh, he sent his uh, second-in-command up to Peru to, uh, to grab a 1,000 pounds of potatoes, which they smuggled in their luggage to Germany, which always, you know, guys checking for drugs at the border, <laughs> and they've got, you know, potatoes in their underwear. For potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> so he had this uh, uh, tremendous success there. Uh, it's still written Wait, about. is this a story where his table decorations were yeah, potatoes Yeah, 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 yeah. Well? So he, he goes into the very fancy place where these very fancy gastronomers are going to be, and the very f- fancy maitre d' shows him the silver that's available and the dinnerware and the plates and says, and what would you like, you know, for decorations for your vases and, you know, candelabras and whatever? And he said, dirt. And they said, do you mean you'd like dirt in these silver things? He said, no, no, just dirt on the table. And this is very Francis. It's very, you've got all this elegant setting 
and then dirt down the middle of the table. And in that dirt, uh, potatoes, artfully arranged, beautifully laid out dirt, but dirt. And uh, I guess that's, uh, it, it, that's, that's what Francis is about, this mixture of the sacred and the profane and hmm. just about everything he does. So that's how we became friends. The result of that uh, experience in Germany was he decided, I'm, I'm going to start cooking the way, you know, Argentines, uh, and that's the gauchos and the Indians and the Creoles, uh, Criollos, have always cooked. Well, that's what I found to be very interesting is that, first of all, Argentina is a huge country, right? Something that's, like the eighth, um, I said from, from your notes, the eighth largest country yeah, in the world. And the... Tell me a little bit about, well, you just did mention the Indians, but a lot of people don't know what what the cultural influences are. Who are the native Argentinians? Well, it's got uh, Indian heritage, uh, although they did almost as good a job as uh, we North Americans did in, uh, mm. in uh, getting rid of them, and uh, in, in not the nicest of ways. Um, but it has a Spanish heritage, and it also has a lot of Italians— uh, the English did a lot there in, in, in wheat exporting uh, um, and agriculture. So there's a big British heritage, and a lot of their schooling for the upper class is still in English. Um, so I sort of say Argentina has all the advantages of an Italian government and a British labor movement. <laughs> well, and certainly the Spanish influence um, kind of is what comes to people's minds you know, and, and, you know, initially, it's the stronger one that, that has held out. Right? Well, I, I don't know. I, I think, Donna, you think it's very Italian I, it's as well? Italian. I think Culinarily? Italian, yeah. and, uh, and also there's German, uh, a lot of German heritage there, there's too. There's German, there's Welsh. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would say it is Spanish it is. and Italian. It's Mediterranean. And, uh-huh. mm. and the Indians, I mean, they... They preserved. I mean, I think of, I think of the gauchos, of course, the you know the cowboys and the and the um, the ranches, the wonderful ranches out there. Um, a lot of the. So tell me about the the cooking. Is that preserved ways? This this fire cooking with fire. Are these preserved ways from the old ranchers or from the Indians? What a little bit of both. I mean, uh, we we can we can talk about the the different things, the ways of fire. It's not strictly barbecuing as we certainly in the Northeast know it, which means firing up the grill and putting something over direct heat. Although though that is one of the methods they love to use, they l- use many others. And driving over here, I was thinking that there's all these kinds of fires, but it's like what Thomas Keller says, it gets down to time and temperature. Hmm, you understand where the heat is coming from and how long your food needs to be exposed to it. That determines how you utilize the fire for the ingredients. Well, I really want to get into all these different types of fires. I mean, the book is called Seven Fires, so I would love to have you both talk about the different kinds of fires, and we'll describe that. So why don't we take a little break now, and when we come back, we'll talk about the seven fires. My life, my life, my life. 
Taste of the Past, talking about Seven Fires with Peter Kaminsky and Donna Gelb. Um, so, all right, we said we were going to describe these seven fires. Let's talk about it. What are the seven fires? Well, we'll start with the one that was most familiar to North Americans, which would be Parilla, or as they say in Argentina, Parilla. Uh, and uh, that's simply cooking directly over coals you know, on a grate. Then, uh, but we have, call barbecue or, or grilling. We call barbecue, yeah. yeah. Original barbecue. Then they're well, grilling, grilling right. over a grate. Right. Then they're very fond of the chapa. And a chapa, you know, uh, literally is a piece of tin or, you know, sheet metal. Uh, and, and, and that's still widely used. It's set over some supports and that's set over a fire. So you have a hot surface that you're cooking on uh, a griddle or a skillet. Mm hmm. Uh, basically is what it is. And we use uh, a thick piece of cast iron to duplicate that. Lodge makes a wonderful one. It's a great, I'd say Francis uses that technique more than any other. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you, Donna? Absolutely. It's like a plancha. I was going to say, is this a la plancha? plancha. Right. It, it yes. is, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, there, there's that. Then there is uh, rescoldo, which uh, if you've ever put your potatoes uh, uh, in, in the fireplace and the cinders, they cook a lot of things like that. That's adapted from the gauchos, who would make their breakfast fire, have their galleta, their you know hardtack, uh, and some mate, which is a, an herbal beverage. They'd go off cow punching, and they'd have the breakfast fire still there. So they'd put some vegetables, you know, some whole pumpkins and peppers and onions in the embers, and they came back. You know, it was cooked. Well, that was the one that caught my my um, attention the most in the photo. The photographs in this book are. Absolutely spectacular, just beautiful, and you get the feeling that you are sitting outside by a fire and seeing all those vegetables actually buried in the ashes like that. I mean, with a, with a scoop of ashes on top of them too, not just nestled in there, but I mean, completely covered. That looks like a one. I mean, what a wonderful way to bake. That's great. Yeah, this is great. What's which one did you like the best of the Rescaldos? Of the Rescaldos, I loved the um, the whole Andean pumpkin. Yeah, oh. um, where you take uh, their they have a particular there i guess it's like a calabaza we would have here mm-hmm. and um a three four pound pumpkin whatever size you've got and you just bury it straight in the in the coals while you're cooking whatever else you're doing a whole lamb or whatever else may be going on and um it takes not that long uh, because it's completely buried and um and Maybe an hour. Direct or so. heat too. <laughs> it, it's direct heat, and it's completely buried from all, all you know, all sides yeah. in the embers. And um, you, at a certain point, you stick something in. If it's tender, it's done. And um, and of course, for the book, as as far as it, uh, adapting the recipes, we would have our digital wire probe thermometer so i could say that <laughs> the pumpkin has when it's this temperature it would and depending be on the redness of your coals yes. or the of your <laughs> and the weather and the weather yeah. so but the point is then you split it in half scoop out the seeds and uh 
toss in some fresh arugula and goat cheese and a vinaigrette and you serve it in, you scoop the um, the flesh out and you toss it together and serve it as a salad in the halves of the oh, pumpkin. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. That's so, definitely something you can, I mean, I'm, I'm going to dig oh, a yeah. pit and Absolutely. do that this summer. You can mm. also do, I mean, speaking of adapting, you can just cook a pumpkin in your oven or a squash mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you can do that in the house not as much fun as the ashes well <laughs> no but no. yes as far as adapting it for an indoor alternative yes yes and I it see still the looks good on the table so. yeah <laughs> that's true well you and you mentioned while the lamb is roasting so that was also the one that i've the I've, asador asador which yes. is something this it's a way of cooking lamb on a cross uh uh, that the uh, Spaniards adapted from the Arabs, right? Uh, and in southern France, uh, uh, they cook that way as well. And uh, like a lot of this fire stuff, it's pretty ingenious, low tech, but simple. And you can adjust heat. People don't. They, they think you make a fire, and then you have no control over the heat. Uh, and that's not true. Not true. You can move your ingredients closer or further. You can move the. Uh, uh, embers further away, mm-hmm. uh, the heat source. So, for example, this is just a cross, but then you can lean it towards the fire or away from the fire uh, three or four hours into it with a whole lamb, which is really the thing they love to do the most in Argentina. You surround it with uh, embers, oh, say a circle about uh, two and a half feet across, mm-hmm. and that will crisp the skin on the bottom. So that's that's a way that they love. Um What's our little list here? Uh, Infernillo, which means little hell. This is classic Francis. When he was a young man, uh, he did a television show. uh, This is back in 1982. He was a kid. um, And uh, he was up in the northern province of Salta in Argentina. Has, Has a big Canary Island heritage. And there's a lot of Incas who still live there. There are Incas who live all over uh, the northern, uh, central northern part of South America. They still speak Quechua, the, the ancient language. And these people uh, would cook. Uh, they would make a fire. They would have a big flat stone supported on top of that fire. They would put their ingredients on the stone. Then uh, they would put on the four corners of the stone other rocks and put another big flat oh. rock on top and make a fire on top. So you'd have a fire sandwich, yeah, essentially. Great. And it makes very even high heat. And Francis just loved that. Now uh, he travels around with like two cast iron coffee tables that he stacks. <laughs> it's a heavy piece it's, of luggage. It's, it, it's a great way to cook. Ah. It's a great way to cook. Well, then we have the, uh, yeah, the snow keeps <laughs> plopping down like outside our window. Yeah. <laughs> you hear a thump. Those are chunks of snow falling off our roof. <laughs> Actually, our garden. There's a garden upstairs, up above oh. here. Not, it's not uh, too active right now, but it's the garden for Roberta's restaurant. Well, th- and that brings me to the Horno de... What is it? Horno oh, oh, de Borro? Horno. Horno. Silent age. Oh, silent age. Horno de Barro. Horno de Borro. A wood oven. You, yeah. you, know, you know it as a pizza oven. Yeah, because here. here at Roberta's, we've mm-hmm. got one. Just when you walk in the door, there at Roberta's restaurant is a great pizza mm-hmm. oven. And... Uh, well, he may, play it, outside and wood fire. And yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like the old bread making yes, ovens. Yes, yep, yep. yeah. And they are they, in the north of Argentina. It's called an empanada oven. Hmm. Um, but uh, you'll see, p- p- people have those about as commonly as we have backyard grills. I mean, it's a people love to cook that way in Argentina. <clears throat> it, it's uh, well, it takes the heat out of the house. Yeah, which is nice. Right. And they will roast things. Uh, you know, it's not just a bread oven. They'll roast 
pigs and lamb in it. Francis really likes to get the temperature up and cook at a thousand degrees for a short amount of time. He'll do his vegetables that way. So they get this nice charred, but not bitter, carbonized crust on it, but they're still succulent inside. Uh, and it's a does whole fish that way. It's a wonderful way to cook. Well, now, Donna, I mean, that, was that how was that for you? I mean, to get over the fact that something wasn't burned. Well, um, to well, first of all, just to try to it's impossible in a home kitchen mm-hmm. in a home oven, even with a Viking uh, or professional stove, to get. Uh, the temperature that high but one thing that Francis does do is cook in what he calls iron boxes which are cast iron um, rectangular look they look like roasting pans but they have a lid on on them they're they mm. he Brazilian they, they're Brazilian, Brazilian basically and so for um, that was another method the iron box so this is also in the book. So, so what I would do for those recipes is get the oven, my oven, really hot, um, preheat a cast iron. Uh, I would, did everything on lodge, and I, I mean, I already had them for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. These lodge pans and older Dutch better. ovens, yeah. <laughs> so um, I would just put a Dutch oven inside, and also preheat the lid. Also in the hot oven, just for a long, you know, as long as I could, you mm-hmm. know, well, you know, like half an hour, 45 minutes. And then um, then put the vegetables and um, and fish into the hot pan and put it right back in the oven and with the top on, and it would just cook in three minutes. Wow. If that, I mean, it was just amazing. But I'm you there. Got That's it. I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the idea is you, um, you know... <laughs> well protected with your arms well protected you bring it out to the table and take the lid off at the table so that the the aromas come out oh that's wonderful well i know um francis i was reading um a part of the introduction and francis described or or you one of the um peter um the contrast between like the outside is so charred and the inside is still still very undercooked almost but sweet so it's that it's that charredness bitterness of the char and then the sweetness well it's tender Sorry. He says he doesn't like harmony in cooking. He likes yeah. dissonance. That's, that's, you as know. long as it goes together, right? Well, <laughs> but you need to have an artist, you know, or uh, you have to have an instinct for what you know will match up that way. That's right. But he doesn't like harmonious, blended flavors. He likes really bold, dissonant chords, uh, if you will. Well, the one of the the um, the last methods of the fires that we haven't talked about yet, and that is caldero. Is that Kettle, it's a cauldron. Call, it's a, a kettle, cauldron. Kettle, a kettle. Right? Oh, okay. Uh-huh. It's, uh, but you can do many different things in it. You can fry empanadas, deep fry empanadas in it. You can, it can be a great big, it could. A pot of feu. Uh, a pot of feu. It, Francis has a cauldron. Didn't he have a hundred, that he would serve a hundred people out of yeah. on his ranch? Wow. On his you know, there? and I've seen that in America. I did a book with uh, John Madden, football coach, mm-hmm. about tailgating. And, uh, w- he had this friend who was a Basque sheep rancher, and he brought a cauldron like Francis's. You, you know, it did about 100 gallons. Yeah. Well, I've seen those big cauldrons, and they they but, have them um, from Thailand, I think, too, for, for sugar, for melting sugar. Mm-hmm. But now people use them as fire pits rather you, than the cauldron itself, which is a shame. But you don't need a 100-gallon cauldron <laughs> to make these. A Dutch <laughs> oven will be fine. Yeah. A, a, regular, you know, a, a camp, five-quart a, yeah. <laughs> will do. A, a cast iron 
uh, pot that you move closer or further to the flame, uh, you know, or put on top of the flame, uh, mm-hmm, on top sure. of the grate, you know, will work just fine. Mm-hmm. Well, in colonial kitchens, you know, the the cast the cast iron kettles, exactly. they are on rods that exactly. you know the cooks would move in the rod, you know, closer into the fire rod, just as you described. So things didn't change a whole lot. That's mm-hmm. great. To, that's great to hear. Um, it, well, Donna, you talked about um, adapting things to the to the indoor you know indoor recipes. What, in your opinion, was the most challenging thing to have to adapt or to try to bring to the American kitchen? Well, um, one of the more one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that I was afraid of how I was going to manage to do was the um, was the sun dried tomatoes because there, down there, they slice uh, plum tomatoes at, on a on a big meat slicer because. You don't don't want to get them too juicy. You don't want them to fall apart. They need to be really crisp. And then they put them on great big tin metal sheets on a rooftop in the sun. So I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do that in Manhattan. But it turned out that I could very easily slice the tomatoes on a Ben Reiner. And um, and I just put them on baking sheets on my uh, on my radiator cover. It was it was January, and they dried in three days, and they were gorgeous. They were just they looked exactly like the ones there. They look like little jewels. You can see right through them. Oh my goodness! And they're very delicate, yeah. and you you keep them in olive oil. So they glisten. That you just take a few mm-hmm. out, um, you keep them in the fridge, and you, they they glisten. They're just gorgeous, and you just. Toss them in salads, and people wonder what is that. And it's so that that terrific you know, little treat. Everything huh? was easy. I can't really think of yeah, anything. Yeah, that's the thing we've heard in this book. That you know, I, I mean, I've done, I've done a lot of cookbooks. You know, the combination of Francis and Donna. It's the first time I've ever had one where no one's come back and said a recipe didn't work. Hmm. And you know, some really demanding, you know, savvy, high end people you know, on the skill level, have uh, tried a lot of these recipes. And, uh, you know, they they work. They just work for them. Oh, that's... One thing we could not, we would not be able to adapt very well would be the Coranto, which is the pit cooking, which we... we did. In a wheelbarrow. You did in a wheelbarrow. See, the Tehuelche <laughs> Indians who live in the southwest of uh, Patagonia... They, it's you know, it's pit cooking. It's mm-hmm. you know, uh, like Hawaiian cooking, like Yucatecan cooking. And they have their curanto, which is a fire and then rocks and then wrapped and buried and then taken out later. And for what we did, did was we made one in well, we made a real one and then uh, you know, and it looked like we were digging a grave. It was next to the graveyard, actually. Oh. <laughs> so it, was, it was a twenty foot long one. <laughs> and then we made one with a wheelbarrow, uh, and that's a really cool thing to do. Don't you plan on wheeling the wheelbarrow anytime soon yeah, after that? It stays hot for a long well, time. Well, no, the, the the rubber, you know, gets you know, on on the one wheel uh, doesn't be, remain that functional. An old wheelbarrow, preferably not yeah, wooden. <laughs> but it's a cool thing to keep for and you, you know, can, yeah, do it in a your family garden. meal. Right, exactly. Why not? Well, I mean, I first of all, I thought of all this fire cooking and all these different methods of of using fire, and then in Argentina, because. You know, we hear of the Argentinian beef and all the the cowboys and the ranchers, and they must have some incredible meats that you did over there. Well, yeah, I mean, it's I, I, you know, it's funny. We've had some Argentine chefs up here to work with us uh, to try and make sure we were doing the recipes right, you know, in North America. Uh 
And uh, we had an asado one day, and uh, one chef was saying, you know, there's no taste to the beef, uh, which isn't, I don't 100% agree there's no taste to the beef, but I do find, you know, grass-fed beef, uh, which is all they have in Argentina, and grass-fed lamb, uh, to be much more flavorful. It just has well, deeper, more nuanced flavor. No question about it. We're trying to get there. We're trying. And the um, the fat is one thing that really stood out for me is the, the fat of the beef that they use down there. We were also in, in Uruguay a lot. Um, how yellow working, it is. How yellow it is. Mm. And, um, I mean, it's it's almost like a, a whole different kind of, uh, of animal. I mean, it's just... That's one of the great, you know... Cooking is about sounds, too. Uh, and one of my fondest memories is, you know, images in Argentina is you're fishing, and it's time for lunch and a siesta. <clears throat> so you sort of make a fire, and you can cook very quickly if you put your grill up high, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait for the coals to die That's down. Right. And you stick a big, they love their, their uh, cross-cut uh, short ribs mm. uh, down there. You, you know, freshly killed uh, uh, piece of beef. And you put it on there, and you just sort of hear it go. Ah, so you're drinking your wine, sizzling, and the fire. And it really sets you up to have a nice meal. And the smell, the smell of the fire itself is is so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Donna, I I know that you are going to be giving some grilling classes this summer in France at a mutual friend of ours at her home, Andre Ravel. Yes, Um, and. Her website is Saveur Languedoc, and she has a she gives culinary uh, tours, and she has a, a little cooking school there in this beautiful old uh, country house. So and you're going to give the Argentinian, uh, well, Argentine, or don't say Argentine, Argentine. We're both. both we're both. going both. to do a kind of an Argentina meets Languedoc thing. Uh, what <laughs> what on what they grill over in Languedoc the, uh, is old vines, vieilles souches. Which are the vines that are no longer that, uh, and it's a huge wine country there. So they're always they're always turning over uh, vines, and when when they're when they stop producing as as much as they'd like to, and uh, they use them to grill over. And this is uh, so. This is what what we're going to do there. And I'm going to take some of the recipes from the book, and we're going to also do um, do traditional Languedoc recipes. So this will be a five day grilling course. There's or a three, three day? day and a five day, both two, in both June. In June. Both in June. Um, I will get this up on on the website for the radio. So those who are listening, you can check that out and hear what that website is. Um, yeah, how long did you? You say you were in Uruguay for a while, do researching the book because um, I know Francis says he does. He did a lot of cooking there. Uh, how long total did you spend over there? And did you stretch it out so that you had a little extra vacation time? Yeah. I mean, why not? Why not? Absolutely. Right. And, and Francis has this wonderful uh, little hotel that we were staying in, too, in Garcia. Yeah, it's not like you were camping so, in the wild. No. Right? <laughs> no, it's a wonderful hotel. People come from all over the world. Um, I was there twice for the course, uh, over the course of the book, um, three weeks each time, I think. And you did a f- couple more trips. Yeah, yeah. Plus we went up into the mountains. Uh, to his little island retreat uh, on a lake. Um, so I spent, and I try and get there every year at least once to fish. I'm going down, God willing, in a couple of weeks to Tierra del Fuego at the very end of the world to fish for sea trout uh, for a while. So I'll probably see Francis. And which one of the seven fires will you use to cook your fish? Ah, uh, 
well, you're not supposed to cook them there, but sometimes <laughs> I get a food writer's pass. So uh, we'll see what the day is like. Yeah, well, that it's it is just again a beautiful book, and and the recipes all are so wonderfully enticing. And it's not just meat; it's everything, pastries too, I mean, dessert and desserts, yeah. um, fruit, grilled oranges. Yeah, grilled, that one's um, a big hit with rosemary, and you serve it with yogurt and mint. Mm. Yeah, people really love that. I mean, I've gotten a lot of response on that recipe. Um, it's just you, oranges and brown sugar, and you sort of burn it on the grill. And mm. by the time the sugar burns, the oranges have started to cook through, uh, you know, various stages of doneness. And it's got rosemary embedded in the sugar, mm. and that kind kind of burns and aromatizes it. And then, as Donna was saying, with some yogurt or some mascarpone or creme fraiche, it's... Oh, Fabulous. I can taste it. Yeah, that sounds. That's a wonderful. smoky one. You got to do that one outside. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the sugar. Yeah, the sugar. Yeah. Gonna and the burning over. sugar has to be outside. All right. Well, I just um, I I can't wait for summertime because I <laughs> we can't dig a pit in the snow and and cook. But I can't wait for summertime and try some of these these recipes by fire. The lamb, the uh, the asado. I did have a true Argentinian do that for us in Hempstead Park in Long Island. Believe it or not, years ago in the seventies and. And I just, I can't wait to try it again because it was probably the, not probably, it was the most tasty grilled lamb dish I have ever it's had. It's a fun it's day just, in Asada. Yeah. And people, that's just it. It's a whole fun experience too. It's not just going to the kitchen and toiling away and cooking dinner. I mean, it's a whole entertainment process, right? I mean, it's just, you sit around the fire, you talk, you watch the food. Well, Don and I did one in my backyard uh, in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. And uh, told friends and neighbors to stop in, and they said, "Oh, I've got a lot on the you know, you know, on the calendar today." But yeah, we'll come in, we'll have a bite, maybe a glass of wine, then we'll leave. <clears throat> Nobody left. <laughs> <laughs> it just started out as four people, and ended up as thirty, and you know, and four hours later, all the meat was gone, huge quantities of wine, and uh, it's just a very well. Convivial that's that's way. the sign of a success. That's indeed a sign of success, right? Well. I just want to thank you both so much for coming out on this snowy day and sharing your stories about the book and your experience in Argentina with Francis Malman. Again, the book is called Seven Fires, Grilling the Argentine Way. And you've been listening to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Dixon's Farm Stand Meats, and our engineer, Nat Wiener, for filling in and doing a yeoman's job, even though he's down with the flu. And uh, we hope you'll tune in again to a taste of the past.